1: back to Beatles City we have got a very different and exciting episode for you this week it's a little bit of a bonus episode from uh, away from our series but Laura was invited to a
0: really really strange call this week weren't you Laura it was a zoom call is that right yeah that's right it was a um, a press conference zoom call um, with Ringo Starr all about his new EP zoom in there were 80 journalists on the call and then um, Ringo joined it and we were allowed to submit questions via like the a, a Q&A. So um, rather than us actually getting to sort of hold up our hands in a normal press conference and hope that you got picked, you just had to type them in on the screen. Um, so unfortunately, none of none of my questions got read out um, because they must have been just swamped with like at least 100 of them. But he did talk a little bit about Liverpool. So that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, you mentioned he, he actually said some quite interesting things on the call. He mentioned about his his drumming technique.
0: Yeah, he was talking about how his um, stepdad had introduced him to um, big band music and really got him into that and how that's actually influenced his drumming, which I thought was really interesting. But I also loved that he said that although his stepdad was into completely different music to Ringo um, as a boy, he never he never put him down, he never put him off liking what he liked as well. And the other thing he mentioned that I thought was quite funny was um, he was talking about how much he was missing his his grandchildren and his children. And um, they live in the UK. So um, they were supposed to go over there to L.A. Yes, uh, last year for his 80th birthday party because it's quite incredible. But he was he was 80 last year um, and they weren't able to go. And this is the longest that he's actually had apart from them. But he was saying that they regularly FaceTime and his grandkids have been desperate to get back to school because they're missing all their friends. And the thing that kind of made me chuckle was that he was saying that he sort of couldn't understand it because he didn't want to go back to school. You know, when he was at school, he never wanted to go. So anyway, we we were really keen to to share the press conference with everybody listening at home. Um, And we do have a full recording of it. So in this, he talks very much about his the recording of his new EP. Um, and how he did that at home under lockdown and Dave Grohl came round to record it and they had to sit at a you know, socially distance and then some of the other people he collaborated would record it themselves and then send it over and he'd have, um his own vocals and, and drums so that's really interesting but I also just like the way his sense of humour comes through throughout the interview because you always get this you always get people saying how funny he was and what a joker he was um, and I really think that comes through <laughs>
1: We're going to, I'm going to ask some of the questions people have already submitted. Yeah. So, and we're recording this, so they'll all be um, getting those answers. Okay. Uh, can they see. all hear me? They can all hear you perfectly.
2: Let me just say, peace and love. <laughs> Thank you. All right, big guy.
1: Okay. From Andy Meeks at Forbes. How did COVID affect the recording process this time around? Looks like everyone wore masks in the videos, for example, and I assume some remote virtual performances were part of the mix this time.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, the thing last year was very difficult, I mean, for everybody, I believe. Um, You know, trying to get used to restrictions where we can go, you know, There were two tours booked for me. I uh, couldn't go, of course. And then uh, I was just sitting there, you know, moping about a bit and I thought, well, I'm going to make an EP. I didn't want to look at the progress of an album, of a a CD. So I thought just, you know, four tracks and just to hit the drums and hang out with a few musicians. And we did. We were all very, uh, you know, cautious. You know, we all got tested before we, you know, Ben Montenge came over, playing piano, and Nathan East came, and so everybody who came over, you know, we were all pretty six foot apart-ish, but at least we could feel each other, and, uh, and there was only like two people besides me at a time. We didn't have like a whole gang. Uh, like the chorus for Hearst of the Knights, like the two people that came over were um, Ben Harper and Dave Grohl, and that was it. And then Jenny, hey, a weird way of making a record, but it, if it's the only way you get on with it and that's what I did. So that's how Zoom In came about. I don't know right. if that answered your question, but it feels good.
1: It was perfect. Um, Mitch from Fab Four Friel asks, congrats Ringo, two-part question, Zoom In is another winner. I love the different styles of these five songs, especially the Latin and reggae style songs. When you go to record songs, do you purposely try to be diverse in your song styles? not, Not
2: absolutely diverse, but with this record, I made a decision that, you know, though I'm the producer and I do play the drums and I do sing the songs, I didn't have to put on all of the other instruments that went on there people were doing it at home and I didn't have to be the writer or the co-writer of the song uh, so you know I started calling people uh, have they got any songs and uh, you know Sam Hollander I worked with on my uh, What's My Name album and he was great and he did it all in New York and then sent it down and I just did the vocals he had a drummer on he had a whole band on but uh, the fun part of having, you know, doing it yourself, was that on Sam's track, I felt it needed a fill, one fill in this place I heard. And so now I'm credited as the uh, vocalist and one drum fill. (laughs) It's just, just, that's how it is. So you can do stuff like that. Diane Warren sent the first song and that came out December. And, you know, all those people came out for me, you know, to uh, sing on the chorus, which was great, which was Dave and Ben and Joe and Cheryl Crow, you know, and Lenny Kravitz came out, Chris Stable. I mean, it was just so great. People, You know, you just I think everyone was looking for something to do, you know, so Diane got half the guys and girls and I got the other half. Um, but it just keeps you in a music mode, which I love, you know, I. I prefer to be playing on stage, but this is uh, the best I can do right now is to play, uh, make a record here in this room I'm in and, uh, you know, hang out with musicians.
1: That's great. The next question comes to us from Matt Friedlander of ABC. How did you end up collaborating with The Doors' Robbie Krieger? Did he come to your home studio to record his part? Are you a Doors fan? And how cool was it to get his classic guitar sound on one of your recordings?
2: It was very cool and he's a beautiful human being and uh, he played in his own studio, you know, we're just sending the file, I'm on like five records, other people's records this year, they just send the files and I drummed it in my drum room in the, and, uh, but Robbie, it was back again to me thinking I want to change this up and, you know, have different writers, have different musicians. And Robbie came to mind and we called him and said, you know, we've got this track. Would you want to play on it? And he said, we sent it to you. And he thought, yeah, man, that's great. So that, you know, it was such a, it was an interesting process, this, uh, EP that, you know, we had Robbie and we had other people writing and, uh, and producing in a way the uh, Sam Hollander and we produced everything in the room here and the engineer and I wrote a, a reggae song, which we did here, and then brought in Tony Chen, world-class uh, reggae guitarist from Bob Marley onwards he's played. And so it gave it some character. And uh, so I was sort of in that mood of looking for people I hadn't worked with as well, to come on over or to f- send me I sent the files. So uh, for me, it's like a, it's like a, a really, good phase of my recording life. You know, to get to play or to listen to what they played at their own studios. And uh, and it worked, yeah. And whoever that, asked that question, Robbie's great, yeah.
1: Thanks so much. Um, Anna Heelbig writes, zoom in as an EP full of positive thoughts and good advice that you should remember good friends, great parties that you should imagine travels to foreign countries with your favorite drummer and listen to reggae music. And you remind the isolated lonely people in the pandemic world that everybody's connected. Did you feel the need of making a record that helps people to get through these troubled times? And how did you Ringo get through them so far?
2: Well, I think, you know, talking about the records, the the tracks, I mean, they're all peace and love. I mean, um, you know, the strange thing is I got four... Well, Mama Teach Me To Tango is not really peace and love. (laughs) Uh, That's just rocks on. Um, I, uh, you know, I'd sort of done the four track. EPs in my day were four tracks. I loved EPs and I got plenty of them in storage, but anyway, we're just finishing off and doing that. And then I get a call from Steve Lukather and Joe Williams from uh, Toto. They've got this song. I said, bring it over. And they came over with the mask on and uh, you know, not enough love in the world. I had to do it. Not enough peace in the world. I mean, they had me at the first line. And so what was great, uh, Joe had put some since song you know giving it some body and luke of course one of the finest guitarists in the world uh, i'd put some guitar on and then so i just put my voice on and the drums and then they came back to listen and then luke put a bit more guitar on you know you ever want a bit more guitar call luke <laughs> yeah so that you know it, it it unfolded as we went along you know i just got in here One day thinking, I'm going to make an EP call Bruce, come over, turn on the system. I don't know how you do that. And uh, I started thinking about people and calling people and changing my mind. I don't have to be like that guy who's usually at the least is, uh, you know, one of the writers on the track. And it just sort of unfolded as we went along. And, you know, we were in no rush. It was not like, you know, a... uh, A date, we had to get it finished, we just went along, we played, we went and did other things. Well, we didn't do anything else. (laughs) Uh, You know, I left the house eight times in a year. I mean, it's far out. But anyway, it was a great experience and it was in a relaxed way, but a confined space, you know, because of the COVID. But now I've had both my shots, I can hang out with all you guys on the screen here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well
2: done, Susanna. I see you.
1: Yeah. A couple of people have been asking about why making EPs as opposed to LPs or longer. What's drawn you to it? What? A couple different people have been asking, remarking that you're making EPs now instead of LPs. Or, you know, why make the EP?
2: Well, I think I just covered that. But I'm making EPs because it's not such a big situation you know to do the 10 tracks you're like it's you know it's joyful but it's work with the ep it's like you know that you can you can look at it four tracks now five of course but it's easy easier to look at and i did feel after what's my name the cd i had in 19 that um that's probably the last cd i didn't know this was going to happen the pandemic and, and then so i thought well you know, I said I was only gonna make tracks. I mean, I, you don't even have to make an EP, an LP, a CD. Uh, you know, this mine's coming out on cassette because, hey, I want it out on cassette, you know? And uh, so, it, you know, the problem of you do it, and it, you know, it took a few months, was that when I uh, finished it, I had uh, Bruce Resnikoff from Universal come over to listen. It's one thing we do. And he said, he listened, he said, yeah. I said, and he said, when do you want it out? And I said, oh, November. And he goes, March. (laughs) (laughs) Because it takes a little longer now, you know, there isn't that office buzz. They're all at home doing their stuff, so you got to keep moving it. Anyway, that's, it came out in March and it's out today. How great is that? (laughs) And, uh, you know, so that's it. I just think EPs are good and, you know, don't tell anyone, but I have started (laughs) EP2.
1: Alex Green from the UK asks you, has it been tough being unable to see your kids and grandkids during this time? Do you have plans for a family
0: reunion?
2: Yeah, uh, really tough. I mean, that was my son. We FaceTime. you know, what big plans we had for 2020. You know, I was 80, we were gonna have a big celebration, all the kids and the grandkids, everybody was coming into LA and uh, we're gonna like have a great time. And, you know, it didn't happen. So I have, this is the longest I haven't seen the kids or the grandkids. Um, Though you know, my granddaughter sent me a, a little video today of my great grandson singing away to my song because the BBC are playing it, thank you very much. And, uh, but yeah, it's hard, you know? And I, I smile because they only want to go back to school. They're all back in school in England now. And I was thinking about myself about school. And I, I never wanted to go to school. <laughs> I just wanted Boogie On Down even then, but they miss their pals, it's understandable. And that's what I think the EP helps. I see pals once in a while, you know, they come over or we're on, on the uh, FaceTime with each other. And so it keeps your spirits alive to be able to hang out with other, in my case, musicians and other people. Well, you know, I have my American stepchildren children here, Barbara's children, and we have Marjorie, her sister, and Joe Walsh, you know. And so they're the only houses I've been to they come to this house or we go to their house. You know, we're all very protective of the virus. We don't want it, so we try our best. But uh, yeah, it's been hard. The answer, the quick answer, which I don't have many quick answers, is yes. It's, it was hard, still hard. I mean, we're hoping to go this year, but who can tell, you know, who can tell?
1: That brings us to our next question from Paolo Giordano. Uh, He said, Paolo from Italy, have you planned some shows live or touring in the next couple of years?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I had to cancel last year, as you all know, and I've canceled this year. uh, Because I don't want to go out on the road and have, you know, social distancing and masks on or whatever, even though by You know, it was going to be May, June was the first tour. then we thought maybe September, October, we could manage. And then just uh, two days ago, I canceled that one too. I'm going to wait till next year to go out. So there may be four or five EPs out before then. (laughs) Who knows?
1: Jeff Slate writes: You've been making solo records for over 50 years now. Reflect on the process. Has it changed over the years? Of course. It all you hard- kidding?
2: Me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You needed a, you know, a sort of a hammer and chisel when I started making records. <laughs> it was like far out. I did a. George Martin, God rest his soul. We did a documentary in the 90s. We, we both were the, went to look at the equipment in uh, Abbey Road and we, we were both said, we could only dream of equipment like this. You know, it was far out. I mean, we had, compared to now primitive, but you know, compared to then it was very good. And we were probably the last band to go onto eight track. Um, you know, the Americans were using eight tracks. Wow. You know, and now they've got 70 tracks. I don't like that though. I like to play, you know, a lot of bands are just like if there's the drummer, they just go and that's it. They put that right through the record. So the, I, I always play through the record when I play. Um, but yeah, it's incredible what you can do now. And, you know, we're lucky, you know, that, uh, the Beatle records are still, popular in their way. And, uh, you know, like every generation likes to hear them. And, but a lot of those bands were, um, you know, they only go out for streaming. I'm streaming as well, but you know, that's so new. There's nothing to hold. I mean, I'm from those days when you you held an LP and it was like, yeah, and you opened it and there was interest in this. Now it's, you know, even the CD. It took me a while, CD, talking about CDs, it took me a while to listen to CDs a long time ago now, but, because they're all a little harsh compared to the vinyl. And I'm used to the hiss, you know, of the vinyl. (laughs) Yeah, I see you, brother. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I got you. (laughs) And um, so it's changed a lot. I mean, that's all I can say, really. I mean, just my system here, it's mainly Pro Tools with few added situations. I mean, I can't even turn the bloody thing on, you know? <laughs> I have to have the engineer come over. So it's changed.
1: The next question is uh, from Raphael Gendron-Martin, who says, you're doing a virtual press conference today. What do you think of future, what do you think of the future of virtual concerts?
2: Well, I did a, a like virtual concert for my birthday last year. I asked a lot of people who'd been on stage and played songs that I loved. And, uh, you know, we just played the footage, but it was live bands. Uh, I love live. And, uh, you know, and I was sitting in this room and uh, and Joe came and helped me, Joe Walsh. And, uh, you know, you gotta, we can only do what we do, but. I, I'm not really interested in, unless I'm there and you're there, you know. That's the way I want to do it.
1: Uh, Gary Graff asks, uh, would you talk about the Peter Jackson film and if you're looking forward to it?
2: Yeah. Ah, so much. I mean, get back. I mean, you know, just to put you in the picture, on the first time it came out, the documentary, Michael Lindsay Hoggs, on the Roof was about seven seven minutes, eight minutes long. On the Roof with Peter is 43 minutes long. <laughs> That's all, you know, it's about the music and a lot of joy. You know, I didn't feel any joy in the original documentary. It was all focused on, and everybody knows I, mean, I say this, it was focused on one moment that went down between two of the lads. And, uh, you know, and none of the joy. the idea that we found 56 hours of unused video, you know, tells you everything really. And Peter, I had several talks with Peter about how I felt like I just told you, I thought it was miserable. And he kept, and I said, there's lots of laughter. I was there, we were laughing, we were having fun, we were playing, you know, we were doing what we do. And uh, so he would keep coming into LA because he works out in New Zealand. And he'd come over with his iPad and he'd show me sections. He said, look what I found here. And we're laughing, we're having fun as a band. So, you know, even if you see that little trailer that they put out late last year um, on the documentary, you know, it's full of fun. I mean, there was a lot of joy in making those records, those tracks. And so I'm certainly looking forward to the whole thing. I haven't seen the finished product yet, Um, but that's going to happen any minute now because it comes out in August. But Peter Jackson? Fabi, you're in the dark.
1: (laughs) Uh, We have another question from Chachi. Are you creating more art while you're in lockdown?
2: Yes. You know, I purposely, because it's a press conference and there's lots of you, but if you've seen anything I've done to promote, on this wall behind me, I just wanted a plain wall for you guys. I've I've got art where I go to the kazoo, because that's another thing I love to do. A lot of art, I've been making tracks, and I've got the gym. So they're like the three venues I go to and, uh, you know, just trying to keep fit to the best of my ability and paint, I love to paint. And so, yeah, plenty of art.
1: Great, we have a question from Belen Elegio from El Sol in Mexico. Um, How has the dynamic with Paul changed through the years, especially now living in isolation? and um, you recently celebrated 30 years with the All-Star Band. You've spent more time with them than you did with the Beatles. In which period would you say you grew more as a musician?
2: Oh, I think, well, I I grew quite a lot when we, in 1960, we went to Germany and with Rory and the Hurricanes. And uh, the guy of Kashmita, the guy who owns the clubs and that, decided, You know, he wasn't going to London for the bands, he's coming to Liverpool for the bands. And so, Howie Casey was the first band to go from Liverpool, then the Beatles went from Liverpool, and then Rory and the Hurricanes went, and we were at the uh, Kaiser Keller, and the Beatles were at this crazy little club and living behind a toilet. But anyway, what happened, he then put us both on the same club. And you really get to know how to do it, because you're doing, at the weekend, 12 hours between two bands. That's, you know, that's where you learn to play and get your energy up. So I, I always contribute think that that was a great help to me. And also I got to meet the, the boys and look what happened. I ended up in, yeah. So I, I think also with the studio after 65, when we decided just to stay in the studio, also taught us lessons about sound and space. You know, I mean, my personal view as a drummer is I don't need to be drum boogieing while you're singing the song. So I always play to the song. And if the singer singing, I don't play much, but if he stops, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that and, you know, with the All Stars, you learn because, you know, it's, it's called the All Stars Band. That everyone is a star in their own right. And they all have their songs. And, you know, I have to learn all their songs. They have to learn my songs. They have to learn the other, you know, guitarist songs, the piano player song. So it uh, keeps you on your toes. You know, it's not just the same old, old track every day.
1: Um, we have a question from uh, Mexico. What is your favorite memory from Mexico, from touring in Mexico?
2: Oh, well, I love Mexico City. They love me there. You know, we play that venue. and I forget the name of the venue there. We played three nights, 9,000 nights. And I was booked there on the tour last year. But, no, I love there, yeah. I do have another memory, though, of the 70s going to Mexico City in that big square of yours and not remembering much about it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're smiling there, big guy. I see you, Jeff. <laughs> and you, yeah. Yeah, was, so you asked the question. Yeah. Okay. I uh, hope it helped.
1: So you've been talking about more LPs to come, even though you're promoting EPs. 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 More EPs. Can you talk yeah. about, um, To what extent are uh, you influenced by recent musical trends in your work?
2: Um, Well, you know, it was a great pleasure for me to do the Grammys on Sunday and presented the best record to Billie Eilish, who I think is just incredible. And Phineas, who writes them with her. He's actually on the, uh, the, uh, the chorus with everybody else, with Lenny and everybody. He came through. And it was great to meet her, you know, and uh, but musically great, you know, beautiful human being and musically great. But, you know, I listen to what's happening, but I play what I play. You're not going to see me any minute now, I don't think, rapping.
1: We've had a couple questions asking about um, your commitment to peace and love. And what, if any, are your plans for your birthday?
2: Well, as everything else, it's all in limbo. Um, You know, we will not be having the peace and love. We'll have the peace and love moment, but we won't be having the bands playing the stage at Capitol building here, Capitol Records and or Hamburg, wherever we were. You know, we played it. We've had my birthday in several countries now which is always amazing that, you know, we started in Chicago with a hundred people, just on the pavement was an idea I had. And, uh, and we've now in 27 countries, celebrating the 12, no, 12 noon Peace and Love. So it's growing, which is great. But last year, as you know, we couldn't do it. And it just on Santa Monica, I'm in uh, Beverly Hills right now, I'm in LA. They put up one of my hands, seven feet tall, uh, made out of stainless steel, which has a real great silver glow to it. So just to keep me happy, Bob and I got in the car and we drove down there and we jumped out and had our photo taken by us and said, peace and love. We still said peace and love as the cars went by. But this year, we don't know what we're doing because, you you know, there's another surge They're saying in this country and Europe is getting hit bad, so you know it's really uh, making me live a day at a time because that's what we've got now. You know, uh, there's no sort of big future. We hope there'll be a future, but uh, or when will the future be? You know, where we all just hang out together? I don't know.
1: Benoit from Guitar France says, Steve Lukather and Joseph Williams have released their solo albums and you contributed to this. Also, yeah. they have work on new songs. It looks like a collective effort. How do you decide which songs to play on? And other people also asked if you'd be collaborating with people who are on Here's to the Nights, like Dave Grohl or Ben Harper.
2: Well, we just asked. And, uh, you know, I know Luke, he's been in the all-star band for nine years. And, uh, and Joe, and as I said at the beginning, they'd written this song, put some program on it and uh, made it easy for me to sing. But uh, Luke, I mean, you know, and Toto, it's a great band. And we are friends. So, you know, I'm going to do it for friends. I mean, I'm not going to do everything everybody asks me. I mean, I don't play jazz. So, if it, oh yeah, you're holding up the record now, brother. Yeah, I see you. <laughs> um, you know, I played for them; they played for me. It's like you know, one of those. And you know, I've, on Sheila she—it's a great story. Sheilary did come together, and she called me, "Would I play on it?" And she came over with the files. And anyway, I said, "Look, I'm not going to do that bump, bump, you don't You know that pattern I do." Uh, I'm going to go like bum bum, mm, mm, jack, jack, jack. and uh, because you know that pattern I did, I'm only ever going to play that on the Beatles track, and so I went bump bump ding, and she goes on the Congress doodly, doodly, doodle doodle. <laughs> she put it in, so there's a lot of fun in you know playing, but she forgot to tell me it was seven and a half minutes long, and four of them was a jam at the end. But I'm on the kit, so I'm jamming with you, baby. Yeah, I love Sheila. But, you know, it's like that. And Rodney Crowell, I just played on a track for him. I just put a track together for his charity, for the musicians in uh, Nashville. And, you know, Edgar Winter's getting an album out. And uh, uh, in memory, really, of his brother who died and Johnny, who was great. And so I'm on a track. You know what I mean? It's It's like whatever comes in, it's a yes or no.
1: And some people have asked about remarked on your teach me to tango. And in your solo career, you have a bunch of songs about dance steps. Um, uh, the-
2: no, the, so- I don't have a bunch about step lightly, of course I had, <laughs> but um, yeah, I just loved it. Mama teach me to tango. And I thought the, the track was great. And Sam, as I said at the beginning of this, uh, you know, sent I asked him for a song on the "What's My Name" CD, and he was in LA then, so he came over. But you know, since then he's he's been doing it in New York, and I'm doing it here. But thank you, Lord, for the files we can send each other. So, yeah, I, when I was a lad, a lot of mamas taught me to tango. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we have two questions asking you about another country album. Are you considering another
2: country? Yep. You no, know, that's interesting because we were doing a track yesterday, and um, I felt that the end results of it could could be a country song. Uh, so, but I, if I do a country EP, that's possible. But. Uh, yeah, I love country music and I love the blues. You know, I love pop, I love rock. I like I like a lot of music and I, you know, I like big bands because of my stepfather, he was a big band freak and that's what he'd play all the time. And he said one of the finest things to me once because he never put what I was listening to down. But he uh, he said, I was playing him some record and he said, well, have you heard this? I said, no, what is it? The name was Harry, Harry. And it was Sarah Vaughan. my stepdad, introduced me to Sarah Vaughan. How beautiful is she? And Glenn Miller, of course, and a lot of other bands. And I feel that's because of him. You know, even when it's straight rock, I sort of have a swing to it. It's just something naturally to me. You know, it's not like straight rock. It's like straight rock with a bit of a swing. And, uh, you know... I feel it's because I listen to all those big band records he liked to play me.
1: And we have one last question before we'll let you go. Um, and this one comes to us from Scott from Minnesota and he says, you've promoted peace and love for decades and it's such a beautifully uncomplicated concept, but the world is so complicated. What advice do you have for the most effective ways we can spread peace and love in the world today and make a difference?
2: See, the thing with peace and love, I can't force people to be peace and loving (laughs) because it's peace and love. So I do peace and love. And, you know, while I'm doing peace and love, I'm only thinking for four seconds, peace and love. And if everybody on the screen did it, there'd be like a moment, you know, because the thoughts go out, you know, the expression, the feelings go out in the world. And mine, I just keep trying to, you know, peace and love the world. That's all I'm trying to do. And uh, I do it and you know, it's up to you whether you do it because as I said, you can't force people to, to be peace and loving, but it's growing. I mean, just my peace and love moments are growing. So, you know, it's like the pebble in the ocean, the ripples are going out and out and out. And you know, it's a huge ocean, but the ripples have started and that's all you can do is your best. And, you know, and I do it a lot. <laughs> so why don't I count to three? Yeah, brother, I see you, Pablo. Why don't I count to three and we have a goodbye, peace of love. Wow. Great. Let
1: Wait, let me
2: unmute peace to everybody. Love, peace of love. I didn't see any of you guys joining in. Well, yeah, I see you now. Is that it, Elizabeth?
1: That's it. Thank okay, you. listen,
2: everybody, thanks for... Being on the Zoom with me, and uh, and you're pointing somewhere, Pablo, some picture on the back of his screen there, I don't know. And you're pointing to the guitar. <laughs> See, it's great. We're all together, you know. If we want to be together, we can... There's a picture of me and, oh, John Paul George, yeah. I should just keep taking photos of you, screenshots, but I don't know how you do that. All right, so I'm off and running. Have a great day, a great evening, depending where you're calling from. And I send you peace and love. Thank you. Peace and love. Peace and love.
1: Thank you. Bye, everybody.
2: Bye, everybody.
0: If you've enjoyed this episode of Beatles City, please like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Twitter at BeatlesCityPod. We're right in the middle of recording our fifth series and we're really excited to bring that to you as soon as we can. We'll see you very soon.